Let's just pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Thank you. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Thank you for every blessing you pour into our lives. Lord, thank you for a chance to worship freely and openly together. Thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, thank you for your word that we just want to come before now and be taught by. So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you help us? Help me to to explain it clearly. And I pray, Lord, would you help us to be changed? I pray for each person here, Lord, to leave this place changed by your word, changed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're doing this new series today. We're calling it The Power of One. And if I read this verse to you, then it will become very apparent what this series is about over this next few weeks. Here it goes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So did you spot the word that just kept reappearing there again and again? We're calling this series The Power of One. And it's a series, we're talking about unity. We're talking about the unity that the gospel brings, the unity that God brings. And you know that God is really, this one God who we worship, he is only doing one thing. And it's this, he's building his church and he's drawing people who don't know him from all around the world together into one family to be with him forever. That's the one thing. It's so simple and it's so wonderful and it makes you want to worship. You know, we we live in such a diverse world, don't we? There's so much going on. All of us here have different jobs. All of us are doing different things with our lives. All of that is wonderful. And uh, but, but but sometimes, do you ever just crave simplicity in your life? Anybody else here go to the sandwich shop and just thinks, just give me a sandwich. I don't want to be asked if it's cheesed and toasted and salad and what salad and what kind of bread. It's all too much for me. See, sometimes I just want to be told, this is one. This is it. Do you remember, those of you who are old enough to remember when the internet was invented? Do you remember when Google first came around and there was two buttons by which you could search the internet with Google? One was search and it came it took time you know to come up with a whole list of everything on the internet that, that you were looking for and the other button simply said i'm feeling lucky do you remember that it was just the shortcut to say just tell me what i need to know don't tell me everything just tell me the main thing and you know there's some truths in the world that, that we all live our lives by Gravity, last time we checked, was 9.81 meters per second squared. And, and if it was all different for all of us, that'd be a pretty crazy world, wouldn't it? I mean, it might, might encourage some of us on the scales if it was ratcheted down a bit sometimes when we were weighing ourselves. But, but no, it's the same. Otherwise, we'd all be floating around and sort of, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work. There's 365 days in a year, 24 hours in a day. And that's good. It means we can plan things. We're not all sort of using different calendars and different... Well, I've only got 23 hours in my day. I know some of you students would like a few more hours in your day right now to make up for that fact you didn't start revising quite soon enough. (laughs) But the truth is this. It's a constant. Now, you might think, well, there's not many of those constants in this world, but the Apostle Paul 
he adds seven constants that are true. And these are them that we read today. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So here's the one we're dealing with today. There is one body. And I want us to learn about the power of one body and what that means. So here's the obvious question. What what does he mean by body? That might be uh, an easy question to answer. We, We find it in Ephesians 1 verse 22. It says, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. So body means church. When it says there's one body, it means there is one church. One church. Now, our experience of church is what we see and feel. It's this, local church, for many of us here. Or if you're visiting, it'll be your church that you belong to. So when you say the word church intrinsically, we start thinking about a group of people, usually in a room or in a house somewhere, and and we think, well, yeah, that's what we mean by church. The Apostle Paul wants us to zoom out right now to understand the magnificent statement of what he means when he says one body, because it's so much bigger than us, and that's quite an encouragement. (laughs) So he uses this word slightly differently in this passage. You might have read 1 Corinthians 12 where he talks about one body, many parts. And the the application really being made in 1 Corinthians 12, he's drawing attention to all the different gifts and everything you get in the church, but we're all linked together. We're one body. On this occasion, he's saying, no, it's one body, and that causes us some grief at times because we're all different. But here's the centrally exciting point that we are all together joined with Christ as the head. We are one body. And God wants you to see the church as he does today. He wants you to love your local church. He wants you to love his church in this city of Edinburgh. He wants you to love his church around the world. And he wants you to love his church in eternity. So I want to say some things about this bigger church that we are a part of. And here's the first thing. This church is universal. So uh, we, we read in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is something we know about this church that God has made. It's a church that is loved by him. It's a church for which he has laid down his life. It's a church that belongs to Jesus. There's a promise made in 2 Corinthians 6 where God promises, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he's talking about the church. He's talking about his people. Charles Spurgeon said, what a sweet title, what a cheering revelation to be the people of God and to have God as our God. Now, in one sense, the whole world belongs to God. Everything. He made it. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to him. The the cattle on a thousand hills, everything. Everything rightly belongs to him. But what this is saying is, the church is his special possession. He loves his church in a way that he doesn't love everything. He loves it. He's passionate about his church. 
The church therefore refers to, according to that verse, all Christians everywhere that Christ has died to redeem. It's that body of people who belong to him through faith, who have been bought with the blood that he shed on the cross, who have been gifted with the spirit that guarantees our inheritance to come. It's the family of God all around the world. And it's the most wonderful place of love and community. And it's God's family. And here we are, we're part of it today. Let me ask you the question today, because maybe you're new here or you've been around and you've not understood some of these things. Let me ask you today, are you in that number? Are you part of that family? You know the song, when the saints go marching in? I want to be in that number. That song is a celebration of this fact that there's something so glorious of being part of the family of God that one day there'll be such joy in going to be with Jesus forever that we'll be saying, I'm just looking forward to it. I want to be in that number. Let me ask you, are you in the number? Are you in that place where you know you're loved by God, that he's forgiven your sins at the cross and that he's gifted you with the spirit to guarantee your inheritance to come as a very... Simple transition to make. It comes through putting your faith in Jesus today. We can really help you with that afterwards in just a few moments if that's you. I'd love you to come and talk to me if that's you today. We can help you become part of this family called the one body, the church. So it's a universal church loved by God. Here's the second thing we see about this body. It's a church known by God. It's a church known by him. Uh, Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Wow. The church of the firstborn. The firstborn is Jesus. That's not about him being born. It's a reference to his supremacy over everything. He's the the church of Jesus whose names are written in heaven. You know, if you're a Christian, your name is written in heaven. Along with the names of every other Christian you know and every other Christian in the world that you don't know. In fact, theologians came up with this term because it's quite a complicated idea. They called it the church visible and invisible. So what's the church visible? It's you lot. It's other Christians we know. You think, yeah, I I know who the Christians are. But then there's this recognition. We just don't know many of them at all. It's the church invisible. The names of those written in heaven, those who have been saved by God in past generations, those who God has saved in our generation and we do not know, and those who he will save in the future. It's the church invisible. It's the church in North Korea that doesn't have a flashy web page and invite people to its services because it's the worst place in the world to be a Christian right now. It's the church in Syria that meets in a cave. It's the church in another country where they baptize believers in secret for their safety. It's the true church, even within dying denominations that no longer hold to the doctrines of Scripture. There are people within it who who are part of this true church, this true body that Jesus is building and calling to himself. But more than that, this one body 
is the church triumphant in eternity to come. If you look in Revelation chapter 7, there's a pulling back of the curtain and we see a glorious picture of the church in eternity. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Here's the church that you're a part of. It's a church that is so big that even in heaven, where the counting is pretty good, nobody can put a number on it. It's just vast. Do you know, if you were to put all the Christians in Edinburgh together in one place, they'd probably fill one of our football stadiums in this city. And that would be absolutely amazing. If we sang songs together, it'd be like, whoa, glory. You know, 20,000, this would be exciting. Can you imagine singing the songs of salvation together with an uncountable crowd of people? Not people who are just like you, but people from every land and every place and every ethnicity. And that's the church that Jesus is building. That's the body that he has called. I know some of you don't like crowds and you're feeling slightly fearful right now. Just imagine a crowd where there's enough personal space for you to feel comfortable. (laughs) Where the emergency exit is clear and all of those things. Just a vast, vast gathering of people who are all saying salvation belongs to our God. Wow, this is the church. It's not 150 people in a room on a Sunday. Well, it is, but it's vast. It's a picture of the church triumphant. You know, on Palm Sunday, they wave branches to welcome Jesus. And in heaven, that picture again is of, of this vast people saying, Welcome, Jesus. Salvation belongs to you. Theologians use these two different words to describe the church on earth versus the church in eternity in heaven. They call it the church militant is the church on earth. And and it, and it talks about it's talking about a church that is waging war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Has anybody ever noticed that church on earth is a messy business? It's not glorious all of the time, is it? It's difficult. There's places where the teaching of the gospel is strongly opposed. And the church is just faithfully saying, no, we we need to tell people about Jesus. There's times when churches don't function as well as they should. There's times when we don't understand one another as well as we should. There's times when sin creeps in. It's a battle. And we need to be aware in that battle. Listen to Luke's message last week and that, that will help you with that point. But here's the picture in Revelation 7. The church triumphant. The church at rest. No more striving. No more pain. No more misunderstanding. No more people getting beaten up for believing in Jesus. And that is the church that you and I are a part of. And that's the church that we're destined to become, the church triumphant, the church at rest with Jesus in glory. And if we're to understand that right, we we must never get too detailed in terms of our 
own understanding of church in terms of, I don't know about you, but us British people, we, we love counting stuff all the time, don't we? We... And that's helpful to count things. It's helpful to know whether you're growing or shrinking and all of those things. But in Zechariah chapter 2 in the Old Testament, there was a a time when the people of God were returning to Jerusalem and everybody was drawing comparisons with Jerusalem of old and the temple of old and they were trying to rebuild and it was all a bit discouraging. And God speaks a prophecy via Zechariah to the people of God because he he sees a picture of a a man and he's got a tape measure over Jerusalem. And the question is, what's he doing? And the answer is, well, he says, well, I'm I'm measuring Jerusalem to see how wide and long it is. He's basically, I I just want to tell everybody how we're doing. And the answer to that angel was this. He said, well, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop measuring because Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the large number of people and animals living within it. See, if your view of the church is limited to just counting bums on seats and how many small groups we've got, that's all wonderful. But the thing we're being called to see is this large, large community of God that he's making all around the world and to see our part in it and to trust him for our part in it. Okay, here's, uh, here's, here's another understanding of this body of Christ that we are a part of. It's called the Bride of Christ. Sorry, men. That's who we are. Men and women who are saved by Jesus. We're called the Bride of Christ. Why are we called that? Because the Bible says that Jesus is one day going to take us and be spiritually united with us forever in eternity. And it says, the wedding of the lamb has come and her bride has made herself ready. So this picture of the bride is with the understanding that we're a people who are being changed from the sinful people that we were and the sinful people we can continue to be to being holy people who are fit to be married to Jesus forever. Ephesians 5.25 it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. I don't know about you, I love weddings. Anybody love weddings here? Anybody getting married here? Yeah, there's one or two. We've got a few at Kings this year. And each one of those is going to be brilliant. Each one is going to be different. But, you know, I've, I've been to quite a few weddings in my time. Not one of those have I noticed the bride tipping up unprepared. I mean, sometimes they're a bit late. That's fine. But... On not one of those occasions was it because, you know, they had bedhead and they'd just forgotten to have a shower. No, you know, they come in and they're beautifully presented. And the hair's been done and the makeup and the dress and they look stunning because the bride has made herself ready. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. It's to be a people prepared and being made ready to be with Jesus for eternity. Never just follow the narrative that simply says, well, church, we're just rubbish, and we're just all full of, full of sinners. Yeah, of course, we're all at different places. 
but our trajectory is never to stay the same. God never simply says to us, there you go, you're fine. Just this waiting room for eternity. No, you're being transformed from glory to glory. And he's at work in your life and he wants you to partner with him in the Holy Spirit in order to be made more like Christ. It's the washing of water through the word that does it. Do you know what we do every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every small group? Every time you open your Bible, you're being washed. You're being prepared. You're being cleansed. If you, if you, if you have either children or pets, you'll have this experience. Maybe after a messy mealtime, you have to hose down your child. <laughs> or after a muddy walk, you have to hose down your dog. Because there's just no other solution for it other than, you know, a face wipe isn't going to do it. It's just in the bath. Now, when we hear the word and apply it to our lives, we're being washed. We're being cleansed. So the Bible says, don't give up meeting together because you're hearing the word of God. You're being drawn into his likeness. Inappropriate behaviors in your life are being challenged and changed. And the Holy Spirit is helping you to be more like Jesus. Okay, here's the, the final big picture of the, of the church. It's a body ruled by its head, Jesus. We read in Ephesians 1, God appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this is the church. It's a church that's organically connected to Jesus as the head. Do you remember when uh, the, the Apostle Paul got knocked down on the, the road to Damascus and Jesus knocked him down and Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute Christians? Is that what he said? What did he say? He said, why do you persecute me? The pain of the church is shared by the head of the church. Jesus, the head of the body, knows every part of his body. He knows every extremity. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're feeling and thinking. And that affects him. We're all joined together. And he is the Lord. That means all of our thinking as his church, must be aligned to what he says. My body generally does what my brain tells it to. If not, then there's usually something going wrong with my body. We're to follow our head. All of our life and energy is derived from him. So if all this, this is true, if, we, if, if this universal body loved by God, the bride of Christ ruled by him, known by him, triumphant in ages to come. What does that mean for us right now? And I've, I've got a, a couple of broad areas that I'd love us to apply this in if you're a Christian here today. Here's the first thing I'd encourage you to do is to love the body of Christ. To love it in all of its shapes and forms, all of its styles and denominations. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his people would one day be one. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me, that they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. How close was Jesus to the Father? Pretty close. In fact, he was one with the Father. That's the unity that Jesus prays for his church that they may be brought to complete unity and the world will know that you sent me. 
It's what happens when Christians work together to promote love and understanding and commitment to the word and the spirit. Then the world knows and we get brought into close unity with one another. So we, we need to not work against him. That's a clear thing. Sometimes people say to us as leaders of kings, they say, well, what are you guys? What is kings doing about unity in the body of Christ? What, what does that look like? Are we all just doing our own thing all the time? Or do we have any kind of bigger picture? And here's just a, f- a few things that might help you, because often these things go on behind the scenes. When we moved to Edinburgh 16 years ago to start Kings, I've got to say, we, we were given such a warm welcome by a handful of churches who just made a point of looking us up and said, we are so glad you're here. And those leaders have been great friends ever since to this day. And we meet and we pray for one another and we cheer each other's churches on all of the time. We... Uh, as a church, we, we host uh, pastors' lunches for, for churches across our city to love and encourage one another and spur one another on. We, uh, we do all we can to promote good relationship and understanding. If we hear rumors of other churches and other Christians, we, we try not to believe the stuff that is, is not believable and we try and meet with people and say, hey, could you, could you help us understand this? Where we get, get the opportunity, we try and do stuff together from time to time. It's not easy when you've got thousands of people involved to do stuff together all the time. But here's a couple of things that we are doing. So on May the 20th in the evening, um, Dave Richards, who's a friend who leads P's and G's, he, uh, he, he got in touch and he said, look, we're hosting this thing. He, they're, they're Anglicans. They run this initiative called Thy Kingdom Come. And he said, we're going to have a prayer evening on May the 20th. And just wanted to extend the invite to any other churches who'd like to simply come and pray that prayer of Jesus, thy kingdom come. And we said, we'd love to join you for that. We'll happily give up our evening meeting that week if we can do something to promote unity in the body of Christ. Here's another thing we're doing. Peter Anderson, who who leads the Destiny Church, uh, he got in touch and he said, we're running this big conference for Destiny all over the world in Edinburgh in the Usher Hall on Sunday the 24th of June. He said, we'd love it to bless this city and the body of Christ in Edinburgh. He said, so we'd love to invite kings and some other churches in Edinburgh to come and be a part of it that Sunday and to to be a part. I said, you know what, that's great. If this can help us understand our place in this city, then let's go along and be part of that. So there's going to be no Sunday morning service here on Sunday the 24th of June. Never happened in King's Church before where we have voluntarily cancelled a morning meeting to go and be part of it. But hey, we're doing it. We do that at Christmas sometimes. But we're, you know, we're going to go and be part of that. I'll tell you more about that later on. We stand alongside other church leaders who are facing conflict in their own denominations because uh, for all sorts of reasons. We, and we draw alongside and we say, well, we're part of you. We're part of this true body that Jesus is making together. But what about you? How, how do you value the wider body of Christ. Let me give you some ideas of some things that you could do to encourage and help other Christians. By the way, when, when Jesus wants us to love the body, it's not just a blanket acceptance of anything that goes on in the name of church. In fact, what you find in Revelation 2 is Jesus goes around churches and he corrects them and he... And he um, uh, 
not everything called a church is always a church. So we're looking for the true body of Christ and we're all weak and we're all imperfect in that. But how do we value that? Well, here's some things you can do. Encourage other Christians when you meet them rather than be suspicious of what they believe. Speak well of them. Encourage other Christians you meet with books that you have read or messages you found helpful that might bless them. It might be helpful for you right now to take a moment to think of a Christian or a leader in another church that you can give a meaningful encouragement to and send them a text or an email just to encourage them. Here's another thing you can do. Don't be deliberately divisive. You know, we only get a hearing when we're in good relationship with people. Therefore, it doesn't really work when Christians just bang on about all the things they disagree with about other Christians because we need to work on relationship. When there's relationship, we can confront and we can say, well, hey, what about this area of disagreement? We think this is what the Bible says. Unity of the body of Christ. If we're honest, the main place this gets worked out, 99% of the time, is in the life of the local church. It's actually fairly easy for me to love a Christian somewhere else on the planet that I don't have to spend time with. It's so much harder when we're up front with people and we're close to them and people say things that make us annoyed or we misunderstand. Yet, the power of one is demonstrated in the local community of God's people. Here's three things that we can do to increase the power of one. And I'd like you to take some responsibility for yourself to think, how can I enable my church or this church to increase in unity? Here's the first thing. It's to not overly value yourself and become self-centered in your viewpoint as a consumer. I'd love to show you this video which um, you may have seen before. It's called Me Church. See, community can never work when we build it around ourselves and our own needs and expectations. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life for one another. How do we increase our power of one? We serve and love one another. Here's the second thing we do. We build life together. You know, the more you invest, the more unified you become. And so church, in my experience, it's a place where over many months and years, you give yourself to one another. And simply by being there in the times and places where other people are, you build a history together. Some of you, I, I, I look around, some of you, I think, I've, I've known you for years and with that is a clear love and respect for one another. We've been there through seasons of grieving. Seasons where you or I have needed care and friendship or support. We've sat listening to the same messages for years together. And with that comes a common understanding of what truth is and what we're living for. You know, when we invest in things like small groups, even though it's hard, when you're tired in the middle of the week to think, am I going to go? When you choose to, you build something. When you make choices to have hospitality in your house, to welcome people in, 
or to serve on mission or to be on a serving team together. All of those things build life together. It increases the power of one. But here's the the final thing here. Simply this, it's to think the best of other people. It's to think the best of them. The verse we read today about one body is preceded immediately. So this is a problem being solved in the Ephesian church by that verse. It says, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Do you know what verse 2 means? Be completely humble. It means this. Don't arrogantly think that your individual judgment is always accurate. So that when somebody else upsets you, don't get to the position where you think, well, the problem is with them. To think the best of people means to value that other people have gifts and perspectives that you will not share. If you're married, you will understand very much what this means. When somebody comes and says, actually, I see this situation differently than what you do, and to value that rather than disassociate from that. You know, 90% of potential hurts can be dealt with if I just think better of somebody first. If, I, if when somebody says something, or it's just a, a, a joke or something, and I think, well, what did they mean by that? If I can just think to myself, if the narrative is simply this, well, they're a brother in Christ, or they're a sister, and I, you know, I'm pretty sure they didn't mean that. I can move on free in my spirit 90% of the time. Sometimes, if that's niggling me, and if Satan is using that to try and to stir something up, sometimes I'll need to go to the person and say, look, you know when you said that thing? What did you mean by that? I was just a little surprised by it. Most of the time when that happens, the person will respond straight and say, I'm so glad you raised that. I didn't mean anything by it. <laughs> I'm sorry I upset you. I had no intention of doing that. Sometimes the hurts can be more complex. And the advice in this verse is to be gentle, not to get brash or entrenched in a hard view, to bear with people, especially if they can't see what they've done. It says, make every effort to be reconciled. Sometimes you need to talk to a leader, a small group leader, and say, look, can I just bounce this off you? I'm struggling with something, and I just need to know what to do about it. Don't just generally talk to anybody. Sometimes you need to be willing to let go of a hurt that you've experienced, just as Christ let your sins go. And pray together for one another. This is what Romans 12 verse 18 says. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. This is the personal responsibility of every Christian, to be at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you. Take that into every conversation, every conflict, and God will give you grace. Let's, um, if we can have the band back on stage, we're going to sing a, a final song. Let me just make a, a closing comment. Because we want to be people who increase in the power of one.
And the truth is that that last bit I talked about there, that's the real stuff of life. And in the world, you can actually just disassociate from people and say, well, I don't get on with them and I'll just go and get a different job somewhere else. In the church, you can't really do that. So it takes work, it takes care, it takes dependence on God, it takes the Holy Spirit. But you know, let me say one more thing, and that's this, that if we're truly going to build a church for all, and for all of Edinburgh, is this issue going to get less or more challenging? More. Because people who are different to us, people who we're more likely to misunderstand, means we're going to need to rely on God all the more. So I think we should pray and ask God to help us, and we should sing together and we should finish. What do you think? Amen. Great, let's stand. Jesus, we just want to thank you that you're uh, building your church, and we thank you for this remarkable thing you've called your body. And uh, we we pray, Lord, that uh, you'd help us, Lord, as King's Church, as part of this vast, innumerable crowd of eternity. Lord, we thank you that you are calling men and women and children to yourself day after day, and we don't even know most of it. So Lord, give us a big picture. Give us a deep love for other churches who are all faithfully trying to further the gospel. We bless them in the name of the Lord. We say, Lord, let it go well for the church in Edinburgh. Lord, we say we we care more about your body than we care about our little niggles with other churches or Christians. We say, Lord, would you purify your bride and would you make us more pleasing and ready to be with you forever? And I pray for us in this community here, Lord, would you help us, help us to forge out deep, true unity of word and spirit and relationship. We, we pray, help us with these things, Lord, because we know by ourselves we cannot do it. So, Lord, we welcome you. We ask for your help. Give us courage, we pray, remembering what was said earlier. Give us courage, Lord, where we need it. In Jesus' name.